Hello, friends. Welcome to In With The Old. We are a podcast focused on dispelling myths, building appreciation for God's Word, and rediscovering the Old Testament for the life of faith. I'm Dr. Tim Howe, and I'm joined by Dr. Brian Koning. Brian, how are you doing today? Tim, it is a great day any day I get to talk the Old Testament with you, so I'm doing fantastic. (laughs) Awesome. Well, uh, today we are going to dive into a topic, Brian, that I know uh, both of us enjoy, both of us are passionate about, and uh, and I believe that's true because it brings us so much joy, and and that is the narrative of the Old Testament. And uh, if you joined us last time, uh, we talked last time about this idea of Sunday school eyes and, and this need to really mature as readers, to be active readers of the biblical text. Uh, but we focused really on reading narratives, and, and today we get to dive a little bit deeper as to uh, defining what a narrative is when it comes to the Old Testament, and, uh, and even more importantly, how do we become good readers? How do, how do we uh, gain the maturity that we need? How do we have some good skills and, and, and frame? work to understand this. And so, Brian, are you ready to dive into the discussion of narrative? Oh, absolutely. You're going to have to keep us on time, though, because this is a topic I'm sure both of us could <laughs> expound and get a really long episode out of. But yeah, let, let's do this. Okay. All right. Well, let's let's start just by defining narrative. And Brian, you want to go ahead and define this for us? Sure. So a narrative is just a fancy pants way of saying a story. Stories can be true, can be false, they can be historical, they can be fiction, nonfiction, right? But that's all we mean by narrative. I think, Tim, back in our very first episode, we were using the term story, and we even said, we're not saying we doubt the Bible, um, but it's an important term for us to understand because narrative or story is how God communicates a lot of things to us, which makes sense. I want our listeners to stop for a second and go, hey, let's say you're meeting someone for the first time. And they say, hey, I'm, I'm Brian, he's Tim, tell us a little bit about yourself. How are you going to respond to that prompt? I'm going to guess that you're not going to just list facts about yourself, but rather you're going to weave a narrative, a story that tells us about who you are and frames how you view life. Story is how we communicate ideas about us and make sense of them. And so understanding them is going to be important, not just to understand ourselves and the world we're in, but understand the Old Testament. Now, a story might have some key components. It's going to involve a plot. That's going to be the events that actually occur in your story. It's going to have a setting. That's going to be the place in which these events occur. It's going to have characters, which are the people that are doing the things, uh, performing the events. And it will usually have a theme that is the point of the events occurring. From these very simple building blocks, though, we can get a very complex uh, artistic expression, though, can't we, Tim? Yeah, we definitely can. And and I love I love how you started it there, Brian, with that idea that we we naturally tell stories to identify ourselves, who we are, and and especially how we relate to other people. And and that to me, you know, as we think about narratives. We, we can ask the question, why does God give us so many narratives in Scripture? And of course, I think one answer to that is he wanted to tell us what happened. I know that you believe this as well, Brian, that it's not just that these are narratives, that they're historical, they're telling things that really happened. But I, I think it's, it's even deeper than that. It's that these stories become identity-forming for us. 
that these stories aren't just stories that, that we tell because they're fun or because they're funny or entertaining. These stories are given to us in order to shape our understanding of ourselves and our understanding of the world uh, and, and our understanding of God, right? I mean, that these stories are authoritative. These stories, as we analyze them, we can look at them in terms of plot, setting, characters, and theme, and that helps us to become better readers. But if we're asking the question, what are these stories doing to us? That the answer to that is they're, they're actually framing our view of ourselves. They're, they're telling us how we are meant to think about ourselves and how we're to think about the world, which is, again, why it's so important to try to get them right, why it's so important to try to read them well. Yeah, excellent point. Story not only is how we view the world, it shapes us as well and turns us into people based on the stories we embrace and use to define ourselves. So, Tim, we have... Uh, Listeners might see that this is labeled as part one mm -hmm. because we have a second episode coming out next week about reading theology and story. Mm -hmm. uh, but we seem to be putting a great deal of emphasis on talking about narrative. Mm -hmm. In the Old Testament, that's really important, isn't it? How much of the Old Testament would you say roughly is narrative and genre? Yeah, good question. You know, probably about roughly 40% of the Old Testament is in a narrative form uh, in, in terms of being given to us as a story. Uh, but again, I think, I think we can even go beyond that to say, okay, 40% of the Old Testament is narrative, but really the entire Old Testament and reading the entire Old Testament hinges on, on the narrative that we're given. So even though only 40% of the Old Testament is narrative itself, to really understand the non-narrative portions, you have to understand where you're at in the narrative, how the narrative shapes it and influences it. So we're talking about 40% of the Old Testament in terms of its you know formal genre, but we're really talking about the most basic tool for under understanding the Old Testament as a whole. So in other words, this is hugely important. These narratives are identity shaping. These narratives make up in a huge portion of the Old Testament. And, and we're going to read a quote. You know, we, we have to understand that God has given the text to us in this form on purpose. Uh, he could have made the entire Old Testament poetry. He didn't. He could have given us, you know, tiny stories, but he didn't. He gave us many long storm stories. Uh, so let, let, let's read a quote from N.T. Wright. Uh, some of our uh, listeners will no doubt be familiar with N.T. Wright. But here's, here's his quote. My conclusion then is this, that the regular views of Scripture and its authority, which we find not only outside but also inside evangelicalism, fail to do justice to what the Bible actually is, a book, an ancient book, an ancient narrative book. They function by turning that book into something else and by implying thereby that God has, after all, given us the wrong sort of book. Um, and that's the end of the quote by N.T. Wright. It, as, as I read that and think about that, and I'm going to kick it to you back in a, in a second, Brian, as we think about that critique, here's essentially what I think N.T. Wright is, is getting at is that we come to the Bible, and especially the narrative, we come with certain questions that a lot of times are influenced by uh, theological systems or, you know, by, by our own whatever's intriguing to us, rather than letting the Bible speak on its own terms, and rather than letting the narratives of the Bible shape our questions uh, in a way that, that really we ought to do if we're going to read it well. What, what do you think about that, Brian? Yeah, I really appreciate Wright's quote here 
if we try to say that the Bible is something other than a narrative book, we're, we're turning the Bible into something it isn't and are implying that God gave us the wrong book. Uh, I, yeah. I particularly latch onto that because in my master's program, as I was, you know, just starting out, starting to form some of my theology, I asked the question, I was like, hey, these systematic theology books I get to read are awesome. They just lay everything out so easily. And then I read Wright's quote and I go, but God didn't give us one of those. And there's nothing wrong with systematizing theology as a discipline and, and producing those books. But when it came to his revelation of who he was, who he wants us to be, what he wants us to know, he gave us a narrative book. Because I think that's how we understand reality best. We tell stories to make sense of things. And so I appreciate Wright's call and reminder to us to make sure we keep the Bible as what God gave it to us as, right? And what he intended it to be. A narrative book that we're supposed to read the story and find our place in that story. Because your story, Tim, my story, fit into that narrative of the Bible as we read it, as we understand some of those meta-narrative themes for where God is going in the world, in the universe. What's the course of history? Recognizing that story helps us find our place in it, helps us understand him better, helps us understand ourselves better. That's part of the reason why we're spending so much time talking about narrative and kind of the first basic principle of reading biblical narrative is just recognizing what it is and not seeking to turn it into a moralized story, which is Sunday School Eyes from last week, mm -hmm. or turning it straight into a theology textbook, but appreciating it for the manner in which it is given to us. To me, like that speaks to uh, how applicable the Bible is, maybe not in the sense of answering all of our questions in a, in a kind of like tidy-minded kind of way, uh, but rather bringing us to the world as it truly is in all of its brokenness and all of its beauty and, and leading us again, shaping us as we're reading the story. The, the, the Bible shapes us not only in the sense of, of making us better or more, you know, tight laced or, or, you know, people who do the quote unquote right things, but people who think the right way about the world and therefore walk that out in our lives. That to me is, is the value of what narrative does to us and there is, in a sense, and, and this is anticipating where we're going next episode, but there is, in a sense, an irreducibility to that. You know, we can and we should systematize it. I believe that's biblical. Sometimes we have to use extra biblical words to describe biblical reality. That's why we have words like Trinity and, and others. But at the same time, it, it's kind of like when, again, you watch like a good movie or, or you read a good book. It, there's something that goes beyond description that it does to you. It, it challenges and changes the way you see yourself, the world, and God. And and so I think I think what Wright is getting at is God gave us the kind of book that that really is again identity forming, identity shaping, but in ways that it's hard to put our finger on, and it's hard to it's hard to tame. You know, uh, Brian, I know we've talked mm -hmm. about that. The Bible is really such an untamed book. And part of that is because God is not a tame God, right? Aslan's not a tame lion. Uh, and so we have, to, we have to accept and receive the Bible as it is. And narrative often tugs at our heartstrings, right? A story isn't intellectually understood only. It's emotionally understood. It's spiritually understood. Yeah. Whereas theology, if I just have like a list of ideas I have to memorize, that could be just my mind that's engaged. But God gave us something that's intentionally going to call 
all of us into understanding who he is. Yeah, no, that that's so good. And that leads us to, to kind of the second thing we want to talk about, about narrative. And that's the fact that this, the Bible is good literature, and therefore we should appreciate its beauty, its complexity, its style. And, and when we say literature, you know, I think some readers might uh, really appreciate that, but others might, you know, get, get back into ninth grade literature class where they're told to read something that they really didn't understand <laughs> and, and told that there's all kinds of this hidden meaning or whatever. Like when we, when we say literature, I think what we mean by that is that it was intentionally crafted, that, that when we read the Bible, we're not reading the, the haphazard kind of cliff notes or, or kind of highlights. We're reading something that these authors very intentionally wove together, and by looking at how they wove it together, by looking at how they crafted it, we can, one, appreciate its beauty, but also we can uncover really its meaning as we approach it uh, using the tools of, of uh, you know, literary analysis. And, and that might sound fancy, this is something we do again naturally, but we have to at least be aware of that as we're approaching the Bible. What, what do you think about that, Brian? I think that's an important point. And part of the reason we want to frame it as recognizing the Bible as good literature is that we can often complain we're in a post-literate society, that people don't read anymore, that people don't appreciate story. And I, I don't want to get into, there are maybe ways in which that is true, but we do appreciate story still. Go on the internet anytime yes. a new Marvel yeah. movie, a new Star Wars movie comes out, you will see fans that have peeled every layer of meaning out of the story <laughs> and are arguing ad nauseum. We know how to read stories. What we're trying to say is when you read the Bible, don't shut off those parts of your mind. Don't go, oh, I'm reading God's holy word, and so somehow I have to just be like this tabula rasa, this blank slate that's just going to accept the word. No, God gave us minds, gave us an appreciation and an ability to dig into story. When you read the Bible, start digging into it. Start yes. paying attention to not just what is said, how is it said, what framing or uh, details are the authors putting into us? Because we do believe if this is God's word, it's not accidental. It's not happenstance. People aren't writing to hit a word count, yeah. right? These yeah. things are intentional and are meant to form us. So engage your mind to read the Bible as good literature. Uh, I think that's just a fundamental principle of reading well. I've come back to the analogy often of, of movies and TV just because people are familiar with that. But it, 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 it's helpful in the sense that there are parallels. You know, when you watch a good movie, what you don't do is sit there and analyze every detail of it as you're going. But what you do is you take in those details and you connect it with what's, what's flowing and, and the story that's developing so that you look at it, and this gets to what we were talking about yesterday, you look at it in its totality which is how you truly appreciate the details uh, as they come to you. In, in other words, I totally agree with you. We're actually pretty good at this. I, I think that, that we, we naturally think in terms of story, but what we have to recognize is the Bible is an incredibly told story. And, and some of the ways that the Bible's story is told are different. 
for instance, sometimes the Bible seems very repetitive to us, and so we're like, well, why, you know, is this story told again? And there are good reasons for that. You know, the, the idea that that in that repetition, maybe the author is trying to highlight some small difference in the first story and the second story, or, and there are many uses of repetition, but, but here's my point. If we approach the Bible saying, well, this is boring, this is, this is just, you know, again, give me that kind of, you know, quote at the end that I can take for my day— we are we are missing, and this is, again, we are missing what the Holy Spirit is trying to use His Word to do in us, which is to shape us from the inside out. And so anything we can do to come to a greater appreciation of the Bible as literature will actually help us uh, in our walk with the Lord and in, and in enjoying these texts in the way that I believe God meant for them to be enjoyed. I think that's a fantastic point. So Brian, I'm going to kick it back to you here in just a second. So as we think about as we think about the the Old Testament, okay, the Old Testament is narrative, as we've said before, that doesn't mean that it's ahistorical. We believe that it is. And and yet, as we think about what the Old Testament describes in those events, uh, we know that it's it's history, but it's more than history. Walk us through that. What what's a good way that we can think about uh, the Old Testament narrative as conveying to us historical events, but doing something even beyond that? Sure. So this gets a little bit at what we understand by history. I think most people that don't read history frequently just assume that a history book tells you exactly what happened in the past, and it doesn't. Every history book is a selective account by that historian to try to tell you a story. There is no such thing, right, as a comprehensive history of anyone's life or any event because that would take forever to record every single detail. Mm -hmm. But instead, histories and good histories like the Bible seek to tell you the story of what happened in a way that you can understand the meaning. One of the best metaphors for this comes from James Barr, The Art of the Biblical Narrative. He said, I want you to envision, and I'm paraphrasing here because I don't have the direct quote in front of me, but he said, I want you to envision the biblical stories, these histories, as a painting, a painting of a landscape, right? When you see a painting of a landscape, you go, there's probably a landscape that looks fundamentally just like that, correct? They painted it from real life. But that painting is not one-for-one one identical with the actual landscape in reality. Instead, what the artist has done is framed your viewpoint of this landscape. They've drawn your attention to certain things by the use of color, shape, shade. They've pointed out what is important about that landscape. Just because it's not identical one-for-one, one, you wouldn't say it's a lie or, or falsehood, but rather it's a framed story of what happened. Tying this back to the biblical story, the Bible is telling us about history as it happened, but it's not just trying to say, here are just facts about what happened, but it's trying to weave a narrative. God is trying to highlight and focus our attention on what is important. What's the lesson I need to get out of this? What's the, to use a term, Tim, I think you used last episode, what's the worldview that I should be taking from the story? How does it differ from the worldview of other peoples, of other faith traditions. So the, the technical term we could use for this is called historiography or history writing, but it's the idea that much like a painter crafts a portrait or a landscape, the stories of the Bible are crafting a history for us. It's true. It's correct. But it is framing us, right, to help us see the points that God wants us to see from those historical stories. 
Yeah, Brian, I, I, I love that. And I think I would just add to that. Some people might say, well, that minimizes the value historically of the Bible, you know, that, that maybe some people might listen to that and say, well, you're getting close to denying the, the value of history. But the reality is, when it comes to telling history, or even when it comes to filming history, let's say that you, you know, you're a docu- documentary filmmaker, you can't help but tell the story from a certain angle. This is not even talking necessarily about like the agenda of the author, what the author is trying to accomplish by telling the story that way. This is just simply stating the fact that you have to tell a story, even an historical story, from a particular vantage point. Um, And to use an example from the New Testament, uh, the four Gospels, right? I mean, the four Gospels are telling the same story, and many of them— Great example. —you know, give the exact same events— Uh, but they're telling it from a different perspective. So all we're saying here is that when it comes to the Bible's telling of the story, and when it comes to Old Testament narrative in particular, we've got to make a distinction that the telling of the story is not identical to the event that gave rise to the telling of the story. And and to me, Brian, I think where, where this becomes so helpful actually to us is an understanding how highly selective the, the authors were in the details that they included. I, I think about this every time I, I think of Genesis 1 through 11. And for our listeners, Genesis 1 through 11, many scholars believe, is essentially kind of one continuous narrative uh, that then gives rise to the story of Abraham that begins in Genesis 12. And there's a lot of complexity to Genesis 1 through 11, but it, it tends to follow a story arc that's very important. And, and here's, here's how I think about it, Brian. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Earth, Genesis 1-1. By the time you get to Genesis 11, you have the introduction of Abraham. Like, you have, um, you know, this incredible epoch of history that is given to us in 11 chapters. You know, you, know, you have, uh, you think of, think of, for instance, the story of Cain and Abel that comes in Genesis 4. We don't get, uh, you know, the biographical details of what Cain and Abel were like as little kids or, you know, what kind of macaroni and cheese they like to eat. That's that's not real. But you, like we don't get those details. We get one story from their life. You know, we, we get one snapshot that what we know about Cain is this. We know that he killed his brother, and and he wasn't ex- willing to accept his punishment. You know, and and yes, it flows a little bit more at the end of Genesis four. But my point is, it's highly selective, and the same thing with Abraham. Abraham doesn't even come on the scene until he's in his seventies, right? I mean, it's like apparently, and here's the point: apparently, the author did not intend for us to know those details because they weren't important to what he was trying to tell. They weren't. It's not that Abraham's younger years didn't matter, and we have a lot of questions about them, right? There's all kinds of literature out there that tries to explain what what Abraham's youth was like, or what Jesus' youth was like, or whatever, but the point is, the biblical authors, they tend to be simple, they're highly selective, but here's where that's so helpful— that means that we should pay very, very close attention to the details that they give us because that tells us what we need to know. We don't have to worry about the extraneous details because those weren't important. The narratives that we have been given have been selectively chosen, which means we should be paying attention to why was this story included and not other stories. Yes, yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Anytime you get to a story and go, why is this here? That's actually a good question that you should dig into. 
Yeah. Uh, one clarification. I think I said the art of biblical narrative was James Barr. It's Robert Alter. I realized just after I said it. Yes. Yeah. Um, so it's Robert Alter's book has that. My apologies. But I think it matters uh, that we understand that these are selective accounts because it should focus our attention on paint on seeing what's important. Mm-hmm. I'm reminded of the words of Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. And that has an impl- uh, application, obviously, in its context, but I think a broader one is the Bible doesn't answer every question. It doesn't tell us what Abram was doing for the first 70 years of his life, right? Yeah. As you mentioned. Yeah. Do we need to waste time worrying about that? Like, there's nothing wrong with the idol. Like, I'm curious what that is. But the Bible thinks that's not important to understand the message, the idea, what God wants to drive towards in this narrative of history. So I think there's a a good point to take here to go, I can let go of some of these things if God thought it was not important for us to understand the message he wanted to communicate. I should make sure I don't, when I search for those things, miss out on what God did give us in the plain and simple language of the text. Right. So I think that's very important. Well, and Brian, I think there's a sub-application of that that we might not spend a ton of time on, but to me, the plain meaning is what we should focus on. You know, I, I know this has happened to you, it's happened to me as well, that sometimes people are reading texts, you know, and especially narrative texts, and they try to find some kind of like secret or hidden meaning that's, you know, uh, look at this tiny little detail that really, you know, it unveils this totally secret and not at all obvious meaning, at which point I think we can stop and say, wait a second, wait a second, we don't have to look for, you know, some kind of secret meaning, the story itself uh, is is really pretty obvious, you know. And again, naturally, as readers, we identify. Here's where the story gets difficult. Here's where the the character has a choice to make that's going to be defining for the rest of his life. You know, um, it, we we tend to understand it pretty well. We don't have to to try to force into it a bunch of you know hidden stuff that you know might sell some books and and be pretty you know fantastical. Focus on the narrative. Let it be beautiful. Let it hit you as a story. And, uh, and that gets to our next point, which is this. It's important as we read stories that we don't try to fit our preconceptions of theology on it, but we really allow the story to do its work, uh, which is to say that narrative in particular is, is a lot of times difficult to fit into some of our theological categories. Yeah, it's very easy, especially at the Old Testament, to come to it with a framework. Here's how I know the story is going to go. Here is what I want this to say regarding the law, regarding the people of Israel, regarding whatever category, the covenants. It's easy to come with a pre-understanding, or even here's something maybe more subtle, Tim, an understanding of what the New Testament is going to say, and then we lay it on and over the Old Testament. Mm, Yeah. And... Sometimes that distorts the point of the story. Reading the Old Testament, sometimes we go, we know where the story is going. We know Jesus. We know Revelation. We, mm. right? We could just jump straight to the end, but I think that cuts out some of the things we have to learn by going through it. We have to wrestle with some of the ambiguity of where is God in the midst of suffering? How could God command, for example, the Canaanite genocide? Mm-hmm. Uh, how do we wrestle with some of these more difficult questions rather than just jumping to, well, Jesus will eventually come, and eventually there's Judgment Day and everything's going to be right. We need to 
put sometimes our, our knowledge and our, our theological systems on the back burner and go, I want this story to tell me, tell me what it's going to say. And I want to let that shape me to bring me through this journey rather than just jumping straight to the end. Yeah, I, I love that, Brian. And I think, too, even as we read the New Testament, we have to understand that the New Testament authors assume that we've done just what you've said as they're writing, you know, the letters of Paul or the Gospels. Like, they assume that that readers, for the most part, are familiar with the Old Testament and have wrestled with some of these questions. Um, and, and this... this you know, this wasn't planned, Brian, so this may crash and fail. But at the same time, I, I thought as we prepared for this, I thought about Jesus and the way that he uses stories in exactly these ways. You know, um, mm. the, the disciples, the disciples, as they listen to the, not just the parables of Jesus, but even the teachings of Jesus more broadly, Jesus taught in, in forms of stories. And the Gospels, even as we read the Gospels, they situate Jesus' teaching in terms of stories, where, you know, uh, the, the centurion who has a greater faith than anyone in all Israel, that's a, that's a story that, that is so impactful. And even Jesus is, is amazed by the faith of this man. And, and so as, as we think about, as we think about reading the New Testament, reading the Old Testament is is an incredible way to prepare ourselves to be good readers of the New Testament as well. And the caution would be, if we don't do this work in the Old Testament, we're really going to misunderstand the New Testament too. In other words, there is there is no skipping ahead. There is no, well, you know, th- we're not under the Old Covenant, and so we just, you know, let the Old Testament go. That That's exactly the opposite of what the New Testament writers assumed uh, as they penned the New Testament. They assumed that, that we would have some of these skills and, and be able to understand understand some of the nuances of what Jesus was doing as well as the other the other authors. I think that's a fantastic point that the New Testament sits on the foundation of the Old Testament and those authors have gone through the journey. They've gone through the wrestling. And many times especially Paul, right? Mm-hmm. He definitely knows the Old Testament and so he sits some of his observations, some of his theology on top of that journey yeah. to say here's how it now impacts us as Christians. And that does lead, right, Tim, to some ambiguity sometimes in the Old Testament stories. Yeah. Ambiguity in one sense just means kind of intentional unclarity or lack of clarity, you know, that we, we don't know exactly uh, what this means or what the significance of this is, or at times it might just be a gap in the story. Um, so here's, here's a, for instance, you know, one of my favorite narratives in the Old Testament is the book of Ruth. And in the book of Ruth, it's an incredible story, uh, and it's an incredibly, incredible story, incredibly well told. Uh, but there's, there's much ambiguity and, and there's narrative gaps even in, in the book of Ruth, you know, one of, one of which is, well, how was it that Ruth coming onto the scene, she's a Moabite. How is it that she came to be so faithful in her devotion to the Lord? Um, we don't know. We don't know if that was the influence of Naomi. We don't know if that was uh, the the influence of of someone else in her life. We don't know her childhood. We don't. Th- there's so much that we don't know. But again, like we've said, the point isn't to focus on what we don't know. Those those are interesting questions. But the point is to let what we don't know drive us to what we do know. 
And and the reason I love the book of Ruth is because it really comes at us. And this is what a good story does. This is what any good story does. It takes the categories that that seem to be true or, or to seem to be most likely, and it totally blows them to smithereens, right? You have Ruth, who is a Moabite widow. This this woman should be a pagan. This woman should be, you know, one of those people that is, is godless and doesn't fear the Lord. But it turns out that Ruth, in a time where every man does what is right in his own eyes, Ruth tends to be one of the most faithful followers of Yahweh that anyone can imagine. She shows her devotion first to Naomi. She shows her devotion to Boaz. And in the end, she's She's grafted into the tree of Israel, to use a Pauline metaphor. She is grafted into the tree of Israel. She's used in this incredible way as the great-grandmother of King David. And over and over and over, the, the story doesn't, you know, it doesn't, you know, hide the fact that she's a Moabite. Her name is Ruth the Moabite throughout this entire story. And and truly, at some point, Brian, I, we, we should do a whole series over the book of Ruth. I really love the book that much. Absolutely, yeah. But if you just if you just want to read a beautiful story, if you're like, okay, all of this stuff about narrative and, and theme and setting and character and whatever, sit down and read the book of Ruth. It'll take you 10 to 15 minutes. And as you read it and reread it, you're going to be able to appreciate some of the beauty, some of the nuance, the ways that the Old Testament authors craft their story uh, to really propel us uh, to appreciate, and here's the point, not just the events themselves, but what God was using the events for, and how we can then take the truths of that story and apply them to our own lives. One of the things, Brian, I'll, I'll just say this briefly, one of the things that I love about Ruth is that you have these miniature prayers, you know, may the Lord bless you, may the Bo- Lord be with you, or or uh, Boaz actually says this to Ruth in the form of a blessing. He says, uh, may you find protection uh, under the Lord's wings in, in whom you've come to find refuge. And, and the beauty of that is Boaz ends up being the answer to his own prayer in the end. You know, mm-hmm. that, that God uses Boaz's prayer and he uses Boaz as the instrument by which that prayer is answered. And so, the, again, there's so many layers. It's kind of like this. It, you know, your favorite movie, my favorite movie, we don't watch that movie once. We want watch that movie, you know, once a year or once every six months. Why? Because every time we watch it, even if we know what's going to happen, we appreciate those details. We're able to anticipate the punchlines. Yes. It becomes more enjoyable the more familiar we are with it. And the same thing is true of the Bible. The more we read it, the more we're going to appreciate it. The more we're going to understand it. The more we're going to be able to look at it and say, this is beautiful. And the more we're going to understand how it shapes again, not just the moral lesson that we need to get through the day, although that's important, that is important. It's going to shape shape us in a deeper, more fundamental way, which is, I think, fundamentally what God was trying to do in giving us his word. And tying back to something we mentioned in the last podcast, when you begin appreciating that story and then start reading broadly, that story takes on greater and greater depth. Yes. To Tim, to use your metaphor of a favorite movie, if that movie is part of a series, yes. as you begin not just watching one movie, but where it is in the series, you see things. You see the story of Ruth coming right on the heels of Judges, yes. where you have the first kingly tribe, the tribe of Benjamin, acting like Sodom and Gomorrah yes. to now hear the comparison of the Davidic line. 
and it's from a Moabite. A non-Israelite is more faithful than an Israelite tribe. You see this beautiful harmony as these stories then push you into Samuel and then Kings as we transition basically from the time of the judges to the time of the monarchy. And these layers just continue to add and add and add. And the implications of who God can use and who a faithful follower of God is. It's not always who you expect. It's the person who trusts and the person who acts. So very well done. Excellent points. It it reminds me of this, and this may be kind of a silly illustration, but I think it's true. Again, the New Testament assumes, and the New Testament writers assume that there's a familiarity with this. And and I think of Matthew chapter one, right? You know, sometimes we think, wow, what a snoozer. Why does the New Testament open with this genealogy? But the best analogy that I can think of to that is, uh, do you remember when uh, Endgame came out, the Marvel movie? If you're not familiar with this as our listener, oh, yeah. Endgame comes out. It's it's the climax of, you know, whatever it was, 27 of these Marvel movies. And there were groups of people. This was, I'm assuming not you, Brian. I know it wasn't me because I didn't have the time. There were groups of people <laughs> who actually sat in theaters and watched every one of the Marvel movies in order in anticipation of the release of this new movie. Well, that's in essence what the oh genealogy goodness. is. It's 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 saying, okay, I'm trying to amp you up and ramp you up for the coming of Jesus, and we're going to start with Abraham. The assumption Matthew has is as soon as I as soon as I talk about Abraham, his story is going to flow into your mind, and I'm going to go down through each one of these people, not just to name them. Like the the point isn't just I'm giving you a list of names. The point is I'm reminding you of the story of God's faithfulness as it unfolds, so that when you hit the coming of Jesus, your heart is beating, your heart is pounding, and of course. As you know, in that genealogy, Ruth is included. You know, it, it's it's building mm-hmm. this appreciation so that when we come to Jesus, it's not just like and and again, this is where so many people are. It's like they read the the New Testament and it's almost like, oh yeah, Jesus came to die for my sins and I should be a good person and I just kind of move on. As opposed to no, 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 no. You've got to understand the uh, the amazing fact that this God who's already done this work is coming to redeem this world in this incredible way to, to, to appreciate the old, uh, the new Testament. In fact, I would even say, I would say it stronger than that to understand what the new Testament is doing. We have to be trained to understand old Testament narrative. Well, very well put. All right. Well, Brian, that's going to, that's going to do it for this episode, but next episode, we're going to be diving in a little bit deeper into this understanding narrative theology. So next episode, we're going to take that question up of how do we read these narratives that have a lot of ambiguity and, and, and have their own sort of internal logic. How do we take those? And then how do we distill something theological out of them? In other words, We've talked about how we've read them well. Now we're going to talk about how we fit them into our own theology and uh, and how we can draw the right principles from those stories. So, uh, listeners, we hope you enjoyed this episode. We hope you join us next time. Uh, and until next time, stay cool and stay old. Stay old.